Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, YouTube, and good evening as you're live and if you're on the podcast well whatever day it is hello welcome uh we've got myself and dan and claire williams from real questions or get real on social media and uh we're going to go straight into it we've got till 9 30 um so it's going to be one of the short ones <laughs> short <laughs> conversations this evening um and uh we'll just go straight into hearing about who Claire is and what you do and what Get Real is, and we'll see where this conversation takes us. So um, over to you, Claire. Just let us know who, who you are and how did you come to know Jesus? Okay, thanks, um, Phil. Thank you, Dan, for having me on the show. Um, so, yeah, my name is Claire Williams. Um, it was my birthday yesterday, actually. I'm 34. Hey, happy birthday. 34. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Um, and I grew up in uh, London, West London. I am the daughter of a um, fiery Jamaican preacher. Uh, my parents are from the Caribbean. I was born in the UK. And um, yeah, I became a Christian. Well, as you can tell, I was, I was going to church quite a bit as a child. Um, and, you know, really saw the the ex religious experience of my, my parents and seeing god really answer prayer um just different things about their lives that i kind of understood to be true about who god was and then i became a christian at quite a young age and i think in my then in my teenage years i had a bit of a going through the motions you know when you're in church but you're not really you're not really you know your mind is elsewhere and you're going through the motions and um i remember someone speaking to me saying look they came up to me after a service and said, look, you need to take this seriously or not. Like you have a choice. Um, are you going to, yeah, are you going to take this seriously? And that really stuck with me for a good few days. And I said, okay, God, like, you know, these things in my life aren't exactly how I want them to be, but I, I've, I've come to know who you are and that's how I took my faith seriously. And then, um, yeah, just, just carried on. It's not always been plain sailing. I've had questions and that's part of the reason why I got into apologetics. I'm sure we'll get into that as well. But um, yeah, that's me. Cool. Nice. <laughs> cool. Good stuff. We're so used to um, letting people just continue to talk on that bit. Um, <laughs> it's taken us by surprise. <laughs> oh, I can chime back in. But <laughs> I'm stretching I out for another five. Tell us, and... about... <laughs> Tell us about Get Real then. So when did that start? Yeah. What is it? Um, and, and we'll see where that takes us. Mm. Okay, so I, um, after teaching for 10 years in secondary schools, um, I was an English teacher and uh, different roles in the school. I um, I think I got reached a bit of burnout with teaching, to be honest, and needed a bit of time out. And I know that um, feeling. So I was, I was eight years teaching. Hey, so. absolutely, my friend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> teaching, honestly. And then um, at the time as well, my dad was quite sick and then he passed away. And so it really made me see um, that life is short. He wasn't, uh, he was quite young when he died. And so I've always seen, um, I've always listened to apologetics, you know, 
Um, I did a short course with the C.S. Lewis Institute and um, loved apologetics, but I never really um, thought that I could take a year out of my career to do it. But after my dad passed away and I just had different priorities, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I did the uh, training year in apologetics with the OCCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. And during that time, you know, I had the privilege of learning from some great apologists, but I kind of saw, so questions around suffering, for instance, they sound different, they carry a different historical baggage or different historical weight and present day weight when a black person is asking, you know, what about suffering, particularly about black suffering, or what about does the Bible condone slavery? Those kind of questions. Um, and I just kind of realized that mainstream apologetics is, is excellent, but it doesn't quite answer these questions that are coming from the black community or black church or, or black experience. And so I was like, okay, let me see what I can do about this. And um, I, cause I'd been involved in lots of kind of uh, events weeks at universities or one-off mission days, apologetics events. I said, okay, let me see if I could put on an, an event. And I did, and it was under the topic or under the heading, get real. Um, it's a registered company actually and yeah from there I've done I've done two events um I wanted to do some more but obviously COVID has happened but I'm just trying to uh, look at more getting more content from other speakers and, and dialogues a bit like what you guys are doing today so um yeah Get Real is about it's an apologetics Christian organization but looks at questions particularly from the black experience No, that sounds that sounds really interesting. So, I mean, what could you just before we get into to some of that? I have a few few questions. But what for people who um, you know, you, you went, you said you did the year at Ocker. Could you tell a little bit, expand a little bit more about that? Just for people who think you know maybe that might be something I'd like to to do one day. Like, what 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 did you get out of it? Was it was it worth sure. doing? And... Yeah, highly highly recommend the OCCA program because what it it's like a two track. Thing where you learn about uh, you know apologetic thinking and, and and thought so looking at um, philosophy looking at people like William Lane Craig, Richard Swinburne you know those kind of greats there um, you're looking at arguments and science and faith had to be lectures of Alison McGrath John Lennox um, you're looking at um, other world views comparing them as well looking at what they claim to what they claim about God things like that and you're actually practically doing uh, evangelism sharing your faith as well so you go to university um, event, um, Christian Union events weeks so you're putting that into practice and then the emphasis I really liked about the OCCA program was conversational apologetics like you don't have to be William Lane Craig you don't have to be debating you know Richard Dawkins to do your part when it comes to sharing your faith and just having um yeah, just having like tools to use in conversation when someone says something to you like, oh, but all religions are the cause of war. Mm -hmm. mm, actually having the, the I don't want to say ammunition because that's, we're not here to fight, but actually mm -hmm. having facts and um, other supporting evidence to say, to question that. Yeah. yeah. So OCCA is great because you're, you're learning kind of like apologetics theory, if you could even say that, but you're also doing practical evangelism and bringing that into your your practice yeah cool so so in terms of like the the kind of vision you have for for um for your sort of ministry what are there any other organizations that are doing what you're trying to do or is or is what you're doing unique in, mm. in terms of in, in the uk because it'd be interesting to know 
has anyone else identified this as a as a sort of mm. gap um, that yeah i think um i was really inspired by um the g3 project with lisa fields in the us she's doing some fantastic work i interviewed her actually for get real and i was just like, such a fangirl just pick <laughs> <laughs> thankfully um, my media guy he edited all that out but yeah no, <laughs> lisa fields is doing some fantastic work um in the us and i think she started in 2014 okay. and um yeah her um, I think her line is um, thinking, helping you to know what you believe and why, um, because I think within the black community, definitely in the US, there is, you'll, you'll get more Christian, you'll get quite a lot of Christians in the black community in the, in the US, but wanting to give them that kind of um, um, intellectual, uh, philosophical, you know, scientific, that, that, that foundation, as well as you know their religious experience as well as um yeah their, their lived experience as well so yeah she, she's doing great stuff and i've been inspired by her um i know that there's a group called black berea in the uk they are um like a group of millennial christians maybe gen z as well um who kind of look at tough questions i'm not quite sure how apologetics they are or apologetically right. inclined they are but they they're doing a lot of cultural engagement and they're, they're great so that's black berea and another organization called K's or Christians at Your Service. They are um, about a 70 strong team of wow. evangelists, mainly from the black um, community who do lots of events. Um, things are slowed down now since, since COVID, but they do lots of events. You can find them at um, Instagram, K, I think it's called K underscore service. They're great. Um, Marina and Daniel, they're, they're leading that organization and they're great. Um, so there's lots of, I would say in the UK, there's a growing um, team of gen, gen Z and millennial black Christians who are standing up for their faith. Awesome. Um, but I think my, what I'm trying to, what I think is unique about Get Real is using apologetics to do that as well. Yeah. So you, in terms of like who, who you're intending to engage with, is this, is it primarily or, or both, um, you know, the black community within the church and responding and engaging with the criticisms that the black community have who are unchurched you know mm. who, would ha who would you know who would you know consider like you know Richard Dawkins called you know the god of the bible a, a racist misogynist you know all this 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 type of thing right so is, is it is it those kinds of people you're hoping to kind of um sort of engage with as well or yeah absolutely both it's a it's a two it's a two pieces to this project so um equipping the church uh, with some of the things that I've learned through apologetics and not just me, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to interview other people and, mm. you know, um, get their expertise because I don't know everything as it happens. Um, but so equipping the church is that part of it because I know what it's like to be a preacher's kid, to be in church, to be, you know, singing in the choir and all those kind of leading worship, doing all these things. And you've got questions that you feel you quite can't even vent those questions. You can't even ask them. Um, because even if you do, or, you know, are you falling off um, the path with God, Fe feeling that way? I'm not saying mm -hmm. someone necessarily said that to me, but feeling that way. So that it, there's a part to equip the church and particularly um, youth groups as well. And then there is the second part, as you said, to engage with the, the questions and the objections that are coming from non-Christians within the black community. Some who have um, used to be Christians and have turned away, some who have never been, as you say, complete, they've been completely unchurched as well. 
Um, so it's both. And I think the first event I did was looking at some of those bigger questions. I think mostly it was mostly attended by Christians, but there was um, there were a few people there who, who weren't Christians. And we got into quite a good discussion, actually, about the concept of truth. So mm. that was really helpful. Um, so, yeah, two parts to this. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, the, the thing, because it's it's um, I've, I've been part of different churches. So when I first became a Christian, I was part of a, a majority black church. Um, it was my first sort of church exposure um, and been at different churches sort of dif differing de dem demographics. And the consistent thing I'd say with my own experience and of other Christians is that uh, like kind of what you said is there's there's lots of people that have questions, but it's it, we never seem to make space um, for people to ask those questions. And I've never uh, the only the only person I ever see that's that 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 actually does something about this is Tim Keller when he you know right. historically you know after a, you know service they would have to have time for Q&A from you know for people to 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 ask to ask questions you know um, and I, I don't know how we because something needs to change because people's questions aren't going away mm. and in fact as, as we become more hostile or, or more post-Christian um, you know even Christians, you know, even children, teenagers brought up in Christian homes, absorb, well, they have all these questions yeah. and they might, if they don't have parents that are, are, that are necessarily going to ask and engage in, in those questions, or even then they might not feel comfortable doing that. How, how do we find a way of, of dealing with that rather than, you know, because even church youth group and stuff, we're, I'm talking about adults. I mean, adults have tons of questions as well. We just assume, oh, well, they've been part of the church you know born in the church and they've mm. but they were you know speak but they still have those same questions but what do we need to do more to sort of create space for freedom to ask those kinds of questions mm. and yeah definitely agree that we need to create more space more forums for that i'm not saying that on a sunday you know mid-sermon someone gets up and asks a question and you've got this 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 kind of different interaction going on in church i think that church services are they have their purpose. It's a time for communal worship. It's time to hear, you know, a sermon, that kind of thing. But I do think there are, yeah, we can, we should definitely create spaces for people to ask their questions, whether it's an event at night, actually change the location, mm. make it not so churchy, <laughs> if you know what I mean. You can have an event, I don't know, in a bar, you can have an event um, in a community centre where people, where kind of maybe not being in church makes people relax and feel that they can be open and honest. Um, yeah. And using, you know, there's so many tools like slider, um, pigeonhole, using tools where people can ask questions anonymously. And I think that's yeah. been really powerful, yeah. particularly the events that I've been involved in with the OCCA, where you kind of just get the raw question, the, the thing that this person wanted to ask for ages and probably Googled a hundred times, YouTubed it, heard all kinds of funny answers to the question. But, um, asking questions anonymously is really helpful mm. and if, if you look at scripture wasn't it um wasn't it a, a rabbi who came to jesus at night yeah <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah came to yeah. jesus in the cover of night because it was too difficult for him to ask his question in the day and um jesus honored that jesus yeah they had they had a dialogue and i think that's we can we can me i just try to always <laughs> take my cue from jesus what yeah. when, we, when we're asking these big questions what did jesus do and yeah i think 
allowing people to ask questions in their rawest form without saying without assuming that they're we have this phrase i don't know if you guys say it but in in, in the pentecostal church backsliding like assuming yeah. that someone's backslidden and they're <laughs> going down yeah. the wrong path and they need to sit at the back like you could save the person from backsliding if you listen to their question and and, and, and made the time to answer it yeah because it's, it's it... sorry phil can you go no, you, 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 you go for it i say <laughs> I just, I was going to say, because it seems like there's this disconnect. So, um, like, the university, it's like lunch bars, encouraging questions and all this sort of thing. And then, and then, and then in the church, and then we never seem to, there's very rarely space to confront those, those, those kinds of questions. And like you said, like, you know, I very much got that when I was, you know, part of a Pentecostal church. Not so, I'm more sort of, I always define myself sort of charismatic with a seatbelt perhaps <laughs> uh, but 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 um but there's still more, more pentecostal church it was very much you felt that like if you if you asked the question it was sort of like goodness don't actually, shoot me and you go to someone and they'd be, and they and you'd be like brother why are you asking questions like that and i'm like well i just i don't know just thinking about it it's like you know so it, and it was very frowned upon and 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 you know in that in that setting i don't know how if you if you assume asking critical questions of your faith is assumed to be moving away moving away further from christ rather than bringing you closer i don't know how you um i don't know how that how that changes i don't know that's something mm. i guess it's got to happen maybe from i don't know i don't know how that yeah. changes but it's something that's unhealthy mm. i think um just maybe to add a bit of nuance to that i think within Black Pentecostalism that I've experienced, and this might not be everyone else's experience, is this, you know, I remember growing up going to churches and conventions and, and conferences, mm. and you walk into the church and you see like the pulpit at the front and it's got this um, velvet red cloth with gold tassels around it saying holiness unto the Lord. You know, mm. Jesus is Lord, this real high view, not only of scripture, but of, 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 of and, and reverencing it, the presence of God. And so, that is, I think, one of the beauties of, of Black Pentecostalism, which is, mm. you know what, when um, people said, and people said this about my dad, when he became a Christian, I think he was like 22 or 24, that was it. He became, you, it was just a, like, there was no, yeah. there was no sort of gray area. He was a Christian. You could tell that because he radically changed his behavior in his life. And I think, um, as I said, one of the beauties of the Pentecostal church that I've been in is that we have, you know, walk right with the Lord, that kind of emphasis. But again, I guess one of the, the downsides to that or, or, yeah, one of the downsides to that is feeling like if I'm not sure about this thing, uh, can I ask it um, without feeling like my whole Christianity might be questioned. Mm. And that's kind of the space that I want um, Get Real to make mm. where people can ask those questions and um, see that questions aren't questions aren't. Um, a route away from God they're actually a route that brings us closer to him and I think about for instance doubting Thomas mm. I'm not going to believe unless unless I see the the the, the wounds in his hands mm. and according to um Christian tradition and history he became you know a leading evangelist in India mm -hmm. so questions lead us to God at a sense of greater depth and you think about it in terms of relationships you're dating someone you have to ask them questions to get to know yeah, them yeah. Yeah? yeah and so I think that brings about a greater depth um, but I definitely understand that kind of desire to to just to to not question God. I would say mm. 
mm. and to, to walk in, you know, holiness before the Lord kind of thing that comes around, comes about through Black Pentecostal, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it does have its drawbacks in some senses as well. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah no, it's, um, th- there's quite a lot going on with, um, that I found interesting with Slido, just from working cross-culturally uh, within, within international students as well, this idea that you can't question the teacher. So when you're, you're, the teachers, there's this hierarchy, and if you question up, you're actually disrespecting the person above you, and so you you end up being able to neutralise that with something that's anonymous, and mm-hmm. and that does create a space for, oh, I, I wanted to ask that question as well. I'll just click thumbs up, and it's not really me asking that question. Yeah, um, they, they've asked it. I'll just uh, put it up to the the speaker, and I, I think there's yeah, creating space is really important. I'd be interested to hear what churches are doing that. And we've tried stuff at my church with things like a cafe theology, which is exploring these big questions in a Sunday evening space, um, a bit more seminar interactive type things where you can engage with these really tough ideas, um, counter-cultural ideas, potentially dealing with sensitive issues um, where people are afraid to just ask the question um, mm. and, and talk about about things that are deemed offensive by society but we need to talk about how we handle these issues with grace respect um, and and that's kind of where some of this conversation is going um, with with talking about the black community how they interact with majority white churches for the, for that's my experience at the moment though uh, fortunately, we've had some shift in that in in the church that I'm in. But being in Guildford is very uh, white majority town, and so we, yeah, just trying to ask that question: of how we can be aware when that is our general demographic, but we've got one of the most uh, diverse university campuses in the country, oh, wow. right in the town. So it's it's a really interesting dynamic, but it's trying to work out. How, how to move forward in that area really are, are we what blind spots do we have um so one of the things I, i'm really keen to ask and maybe this is where we can take the conversation is what are the questions so i mean, I'd, I'd say my interaction with ocker at least from what i've seen that's a majority right white space am i right yeah and it's it's quite there's an international flavor about ravi zacharias and the connection there but for ocker's fairly majority white in your interactions, what were your white peers being asked <laughs> and what were you being asked? Were there like any, like, mm. oh, my word, I'm, I'm being asked, that, why did they ask me that, not him? And just in that space, were, were you finding there were different questions coming up? Um, interestingly, I guess, interestingly, so I did an event with um, an OCCA speaker and we, we did a talk at a school and it was with some sixth formers and this was um a, a white majority school and one of the students uh, a white um always said so you're a christian doesn't the bible condone slavery right. <laughs> and i was like wow okay he, he wants to go in spit it, spit it out yeah just, just <laughs> i know so um as, as as you rightly said i think most of the most of the um places i went to with occa to do events with and, and still doing events with now are majority um white spaces and that is partly why i have gone about trying to to found <laughs> to found get real because um the questions are slightly different um and they will be asked in maybe a different way and there's yeah so 
I don't think during my OCCA year training or even now I've had questions. Mm, I am speaking a lot more on um, racial injustice and, and God's view of justice um, in different talks now, but during my time at OCCA, I didn't really have that many different questions based upon my race or no, not at the time. But that again, that's because I was interacting with mostly white majority spaces. And that's, that's your question. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. That's, that's really interesting. And, and it's interesting also that it's that question comes from both camps, I guess, the this the slavery question. And and maybe we we can come into that kind of response in in a moment because it's been asked in the live chat already. Oh wow. <laughs> um so um maybe maybe we'll we'll just dive in um so because i guess for me from look looking online some of the questions even on your website like um you've answered the question of is christianity a white man's religion um tying into ideas of colonialism and and all that so they're, they're big questions and they're fairly even if you're just talking about colonialism without religion <laughs> that's that's a huge huge thing to to try and unpick how that works what that's done what damage that done whether it's still doing damage um and and having grown up in a country that was colonialized and seeing some of the, mm. the stuff that's still ongoing and unpicking even in the mission community is quite quite massive at the moment so maybe we can just dive in straight away what was your response to that boy and mm. maybe it's like a summary to that question because i don't think we have four hours tonight to go into <laughs> but like, if in a, an evangelistic event like that you're asked doesn't the bible condone slavery what's your evangelistic event response and what oh resource does someone go to <laughs> cool and you put me on the spot okay sorry i'm sorry um, I, blame, I blame live chat they, they and, and especially i think like you said like i'll try help <laughs> would, it, would it be more pointed as well like in terms of well look you're black and his, you know, black, black, black people historically, you know, have been victims of of, mm -hmm. of slavery themselves. So how how if 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 you know the assumption is that Christianity is a white religion, uh, you know, black people have been enslaved. Therefore, how 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 you know how can you how can you accept this? Like, are you mm -hmm. accept this sort of contradiction between the two? That is that is the objection. Um, you've just really unpicked what what the objection is, and and that comes from. Uh, members of the black community who feel like well no christianity is white man's religion you're you're foolish for following christianity almost um and i think just to add a bit more to that i think part of the reason this question is asked and has a lot of pain with it is not just because of the the history of slavery but because of the ongoing racism that we see today and i think even narratives about and ideas about blackness and black people from the plantation that still rumble in different ways in, in, in our interactions with black people today. Um, yeah, so I think when someone's asking that, it's not just an historical question, it's a question now because we're still, we're still living with some of the legacy of, you know, distorted ideas about black people. Um, and, I, and I've experienced that personally myself. So, wow, let's, let's look at this question. Does the Bible condone slavery? And I think the first thing to say is, and I'm borrowing heavily from Esau Macaulay. He's written a book called Reading While Black, absolute brilliant um, black theologian. And um, he talks about he talks about this on the Jude Tree Project podcast. 
And I think you should listen to that because he does a better job than explaining it. I like just also to another resource with Issa McCauley was uh, he was on with Preston Sprinkle, Raw Theology. I don't know if you know Preston Sprinkle. He's an American guy. Um, anyway, aside, but if, if anyone's aware of Preston Sprinkle, he interviews him and it was fantastic. So, yeah. Okay. So the way that Esau McCauley helped us to think through this and, and frames it is that, um, so when we look at, say, we need to, we need to think about um, what God wants for our lives through the whole narrative arc of scripture, okay? Not just proof texting, ah, the Bible says this, therefore the whole of Christianity is unfounded. We need to look at the whole narrative arc of scripture. And what he does is he talks about the institution, he uses the, the reference of the institution of marriage, for instance, and talks about how, um, when people ask Jesus about marriage and divorce and they try to get him into a twist of the question about marriage and divorce, um, Jesus refers to the created order that God intended for people, um, married couples to live together and to be together. And um, divorce wasn't something in God's original plan, but um, that he says, he kind of shows that divorce was what God allowed to mitigate the, the, the unkindness of the human heart. Okay, so someone, if, if yeah, God, God doesn't design for, for people to get married and then divorce, but divorce is a mitigating um, thing to help, yeah, to help people continue after a relationship breakdown. Does God like it? No, but it's there to mitigate. And that's what he gave to Moses to give to, to the people. In the same way, does God um, like slavery? No. Does God want slavery for, for any people group? No. But what we see, because I think one of the objections comes from when we look at for instance, the book of Exodus, look at the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, look at some scriptures that talk about how God says that um, people should treat slaves. Well, look, he's condoning it because he's given them instructions on how to treat them. Well, those laws are there to mitigate the fallenness and the brokenness of human hearts. And so there is um, there is the argument that when we look at um, how um, how in the book of yeah, in the book of Leviticus and, and, and Deuteronomy and all the laws about slaves, we look at how slaves were treated by the the laws that um, Moses gave. They were actually treated more more humanely than slaves were treated in the other um, cultures of the time. And so God wasn't saying yes, I want people to be enslaved. Actually, He gave mitigating like rules and ways of working to actually gave people who were enslaved a uh, better humanity better humane treatment and so that's one way to think about it and the other is so looking at um for instance the apostle paul we never get in scripture the apostle paul saying slavery is wrong that you don't get that in black and white in the text and so one of the things that i find helpful is his letter um when he's talking is it in, i think it's in philemon where he's talking about the slave anisimus who's run away and um uh, Paul says to Philemon, greet him as a brother. Mm. Okay, so the whole the whole um, structure of their slave master relationship, Paul is completely undermining it. And this letter would have been read uh, in the churches publicly. Okay, and so um, what's the slave master's name? I've forgotten. I don't want to be Onesimus? saying. Onesimus. I can't remember. Uh, Onesimus was the slave, right? Yeah. Who was the what's the slave master's name? I can't remember. It's a <laughs> short letter. I should know. <laughs> I should know. I should know as well. I didn't think we'd be going here, but that's fine. No, it's anyway. fine. Yeah, sorry for dropping you into it. No, it's fine. The point <laughs> is, the point is that using this kind of rhetorical skill, knowing that the letter would be read read openly, knowing that um, 
the slave master would be held accountable in front of the whole church family, Paul writes and says, greet him as a brother, which completely transforms, as I said, the whole slave master dynamic. So that is Philemon, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that is um that is a way in which the apostle Paul is saying no, slavery as we know it is not something that God wants for us. And also John Stott talks about this in his um, commentary on the book of Ephesians, where I think Carmen Bridge, the historian that he quotes in there talks about how, I think it was 60 or something like, some some million number of people in the Greco-Roman world were actually slaves. Mm. And by that, that could be someone who was a lawyer, a scribe, but the word slave was used. So when, we, when we're reading scripture, context is always gonna be king, right? When we're reading scripture and we're reading, for instance, Ephesians chapter six and verse um, five to nine, which talks about um, slaves obeying their masters, etc. What does that word slave actually mean in the context in which it was written? And as I said, slaves could, could be anyone from, the higher or lower echelons of in, in like a social hierarchy in the Greco-Roman world. And so chattel slavery, as we see in the transatlantic slave trade, is not what's being talked about in scripture, in, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. And I think that's really important because we know that the transatlantic slave trade is a massive blot upon yeah. the, the, the church record, okay, and our historical record. But that is not the same thing. That's not the same context as what was happening in the um, ancient Greco-Roman um, world. Hmm. There's, and there's far more to unpack with that. So it's, it is a huge question. But I think, I think as an evangelistic event answer, I think you've, that's that's a fantastic yeah. on-the-spot cover. So I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for dropping that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good. One thing that I think is so valuable when you right at the start is talking about this this arc of theology from genesis to revelation it's something that's really transformed my own theology and thinking on so many issues um is getting out of dare i say western systems so for most uh western christians who were in the cu their first books were recommended with things like wayne grudem's systematic theology and, and various different systematic theologies I don't want to dismiss as uh, as unhelpful, but the the books that I found most helpful recently are things that really show that overview of the Bible, um, as the Bible Project puts it, the unified story that leads to Jesus, wow. and it's this um, getting getting that view and then going okay, so in this overview we've got this thing we call slavery. How do we deal with that? Um, we've got this thing called marriage. Well, how do we do with that? And and so I, I think for that, you sort of get a much better picture of who God is rather than going, this is a horrible thing happening in this point in the Bible. How do I systematize it within this idea? Okay, so everything about slavery, I'm going to put in a box rather than seeing God's redemptive work through suffering, just like Joseph's story. Mm of this redemptive work through what you've what was evil you've made good as continuously working through scripture so i i find that um there is a a book called biblical theology that i've recently read for for my work which i'd recommend by um it's published by nine marks but i'd recommend it it's quite short it's um kind of doesn't cover the slavery issue but it does cover what you mean mm. by that uh, yeah. Sorry, Dan, go for it. As I say, the thing about those issues, what a lot of people do with the with the slave issue, is like you said, um, Claire, is they you read back 
the the worst kind of slavery, which absolutely is Chattel, you know, Chattel slavery, you know, uh, transatlantic, uh, the um, the Arab slave trade as well, which went on for a thousand years, way before um, you know um, the, the 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 West started doing it. Um, and you look at that, and it's the worst, the worst kind of slavery: kidnapping people, tearing them away from their, you know, their families, their, uh, you know, their their place of origin, and transporting them somewhere else. And you know, even you know, we read, you know, I think if I'm right, kid, kidnapping warrants the death penalty in Mosaic law. Um, so kidnapping, you know, and that's what they're doing. They kid, mm. they kidnapped people, um, and um, you know absolutely condemned um and that, i think that's what people do and they, they they look at that slavery and they read every time they see slavery in the old testament um again it's just what we were talking about before we came about nuance about trying to actually appreciate what's actually going on here because mm. i think what people always want they want this sort of gotcha ah see slavery is evil and the bible allows slavery therefore mm. The Bible is 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 wrong, and God is evil, and and there's there's no it's 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 a gotcha, but actually yeah. it, it's it's far more complicated. You know, slavery as we know existed in every you know, in every culture throughout human history in some in some form, not not the worst kind, um, not always, but you know, sort of indentured servitude. You know, you'd sell yourself to a family or a community for seven years, and you get released, you know, and then you get mm. released at the end of that time, ideally, and yeah, things good, like yeah. that. Um, yeah, so, but, but, go on, no, no, carry on. I was just going to say, um, that moral outrage then, for me, this question about slavery and, and all the other kinds of injustices and sufferings, suffering brings me to say to the person, you know, your moral outrage, why mm. you have that reaction, where is that coming from, in what worldview does that make the best sense, you know, and then you can get into the whole moral argument and start bringing in such own people that, um, it, you said something, Dan, about, um, no, it was Phil saying um, who, 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 what we, what we to learn about who God is from this mm -hmm. in the Bible. And so, my question is, why are you enraged? Why did you, why do you feel this is wrong? To me, that's a mark of the image of God in you, that mm -hmm. you're made in His image, and that we should find these things wrong. And he, and it shows us that He He is a God of justice. And I think, yeah, having the conversation opens up, you know, questions about our own moral landscape, mm -hmm. which. Um, is, is, is no bad thing I think I think it's a good thing for us to discuss and then you can um really explore the heart of God and the fact that he takes justice really really seriously in fact I think it's in um Philippines 2 Jesus is described as a, a, a slave he made himself a slave mm -hmm. and so the God of the Bible knows what it is to suffer does he mean that does, does he condone that suffering does he say that suffering is is does he um, um want us to suffer in that way no but I would rather um you know i would rather worship a god who knows what it is to suffer who understands that and i think the, uh, the question of slavery comes back to the question of suffering and all of the things we would deploy to answer questions about suffering um we should be, be doing that when we're, when we're talking about slavery and, and things like that racial injustice as well mm -hmm. i mean one thing that just came to mind then is like you know we were reading the story of you know in, in in genesis about joseph's brothers selling him into slavery the moral of that story is not that slavery is con condoned you know god brought something good out of that evil but no one reads no one you know no one at that time or now looks back at joseph's brothers as kid basically you know uh, telling their dad that they that he was dead and selling him to slave traders 
you know that 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 that's that's never been a narrative that of you know of, of scripture that's been looked upon um you know positively mm. um it's always been you know we always look at that and know what they did is evil mm. i mean the same way um i think one of the problems is that throughout history um there's always been people who have um claimed to represent christ or the church who have done horrible evil things yeah. uh and 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 it's and it's so you know we you know i think sometimes christians can be guilty of doing the same thing with muslims in islam you know like well that's a false worldview and every time you see someone who is a you know as a muslim or a muslim it's like sort of justifies you're like see that's a that just shows uh but in the same way with christian you can do the same thing with christianity it's we we're doing applying um the standard that we wouldn't accept when applied to us but applying it to other worldviews um which which isn't it's not fair mm. um we have you know we've got our own do- dirty la- laundry that we've got to try and um deal with ourselves and i think that's what's so troubling is that you know one of the issues of slavery i don't know if you read the account of frederick Douglass. um yeah, yeah and I, I loved that book and i i, I would have loved to talk to Frederick Douglass. I mean, what an amazing man. What an amazing man. If people haven't listened. He was, uh, who haven't read, read the book. Um, he was, um, brought up on a plantation. I think his dad was the slave was, was, a uh, the, the plantation owner and his, um, his mum was a, um, was, was a slave and he, he grew up on, on, on plantations and managed to escape, uh, as, um, as a young man. And, you know, he taught himself to read was, I mean, I mean, he was a, he was an intellect. I mean, if he was, mm. he, he did not have the ideal black child background and, and, but he was the most amazing thinker. So insightful, love, uh, love the church, love Christ, love the gospel. And, and was, was such an amazing proponent of it. And, and obviously anti-slavery once he managed to escape. And, um, uh, um, and he, he's really interested at the end of that book there's a there's a section where he's just talking about american christianity about these about these individuals who um you know claim to represent christ but he's like well no i know the gospel i know what the bible says i know jesus these people do not represent him um you know and he talks about these horrific things where he would have you know he was treated worse by the you know the baptist slave trade uh slave master than he was by the one who was sort of agnostic who didn't really yeah. care and it's um hmm. and it's hard to deal with that you're like that's hard reading i'm really I'm thinking wow that's 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 horrific mm. um and, and we have to we you know that's our dirty laundry that we've got to try and deal with and i think there's there's a lot of ammunition for for people who aren't christians to kind of justifiably bring that bring that stuff up mm-hmm. i mean so mm-hmm. how, how would you you know how would you respond to to people who you know like you know, you've got someone from the black community pointing these stuff, you know, these sorts of things out. How, how, how would you approach mm. those, those, those sites, sorts of historical yeah. instances of injustice? One of, the, one of the things I actually quite admire about the Frederick Douglass account is that he goes through, you know, these moments of despair and like utter this thinking, my life is a mess um doubting god as well and so it's not just this you know i became a christian and that was it and i know you know he he really had the ups and downs of of, um just doubting god trusting god what's going on and then like what i like about him and this is i think that something that i'd like to 
make clear among my um, black friends and, and, and family or community members who, who, ha who have this objection that um, Frederick Douglass was critically engaging with his faith because there's this idea that slaves um, who became Christians were just docile recipients of the mm. faith and they were whipped into believing, uh, um, believing in Christianity. But Mary Prince's account, um, another great account, difficult reading, but she says, um, she talks about the moment where she became a Christian. She talks about um, how she felt a conviction of her sin. She felt the presence of God. And it, in that same paragraph, it says, but I could not tell my mistress, the, her um, slave master's um, wife, she couldn't tell the, the, uh, the mistress because slave masters or plantation owners and slavers didn't want their slaves to become Christians because it would mean one, having to treat them more humanely because they were Christians. And two, it would mean um, slaves becoming literate and being able to read. And when, when you know, knowledge is power. And so um, that's why we, we also get the, the slave Bible, which took, I mean, you talked about the story of Joseph, took out the, 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 the part of Joseph's story where he was um, then, then became essentially like the prime minister of Egypt. Like, so this idea that black Christians just bow down to, um, to, to, to Christianity because they were whipped into doing so, I think is dishonoring to mm -hmm. the real critical engagement and bravery of, of, of slaves who became Christians and then became abolitionists like Ephriano, mm -hmm. like Mary Prince, like Frederick Douglass. And their accounts are so just gritty. When I, Honestly, there were times when I was reading the, the Douglass book, I had to put it down because I was just like, this is too hard to read. And then, and, and just seeing, like I said, that those, those peaks and trough of belief and despair and just what is going on, but then coming out the other side of it. So I just wanted to, to, to mm. raise that point as well. But then again, back to what I was saying before about how do you respond to people who say, look at the church's record of um, historical wrong. And there's a quote by um, C.S. Lewis when he talks about, I think in Mere Christianity, when he talks about how his argument against God was that there was so much injustice in the world. But how had I come to this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has any idea of a straight line. And so his point is, I'm railing against injustice, but where is my sense of justice actually coming from? And when we drill down and look at an atheistic worldview where, you know, the universe came from nothing, nothing can't give me inherent human dignity, nothing can't confer meaning upon me, mm. then nothing matters. And so put down your placards, stop marching, don't sign your petitions because nothing matters. And so if, 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 if um, racial injustice occurs, how could you even call it racial injustice? But if injustice occurs, it's just mm. the way life is. And I can't, as a Christian, I cannot leave, let me say this, as a black woman, I cannot leave the, the, um, the matter of racial injustice in a worldview where God doesn't exist because the very notion of justice, goodness, that is harder to account for in that kind of worldview. Well, yeah, and there's definitely something that I've pondered that whole line of justice. What, where do you, um, where do you grant that? And generally, the the response is along the lines of, well, it's about harm. If you're harming another human, uh, therefore that's injustice. Um, just to dig into that a little bit more, just to have a better grasp of that. If someone says, okay, I, I, I grant, but th this is my line, I think we can science our way to this line about um, caring for humanity in, and maybe 
even caring for anything that breathes <laughs> as that seems to be where the line is how how do you go well that's not that's not a standard like how, how would you respond if they they're on just digging a little bit more into that yeah i think um the record of human history shows that that standard shifts and it's basically a subjective idea of of of, of human worth of um value of of whose lives matter and who, who whose lives don't like just look at history and mm. um, you know i think it's um keith um professor keith ward makes this point in his book is religion dangerous and he talks about how you know if we want examples of um wars caused by um wars that haven't been caused by religion just look at you know the 20 <laughs> look at the 20th century that like, that's what you have to do mm-hmm. and he makes a really strong case just to to dispel this idea that religion is the cause of all war and, and stuff like that. So um, I don't, I think when I look at the record of history, I don't see that. And I just think people change their minds and I can't, I can't afford to give my um, inherent human dignity. I can't leave that up to you to decide because you will change your mind one day. And, and, and that's why for me, it, it becomes grounded in, the the dignity that god confers upon me he Mm. is the objective moral standard upon which i judge um yeah everything it comes from him and and again i think um there's a great video on on um william lane craig's um youtube page dr greg videos talks about the moral argument and it's it's not saying that um people who don't believe in god aren't capable of good this is just saying that you, you don't have to necessarily believe in god for, for, for objective morals to exist but it's more likely to exist in a world where they're more likely to exist in a world where god exists not that you have to believe in him but that that god would need to exist mm. that's good that's helpful uh, a lot you said about I, I, ideals and again that's kind of another way of of framing and understanding history because on the one hand it's it's very it's it's one thing to have ideals you know that human beings are made in the image of god they have inherent uh, dignity. Um, so that's one thing is knowing it, but actually living up to those ideals is something humans suck at. <laughs> you know, like um, that, that we're 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 really bad because you you have to be motivated in a way, especially given that often uh, injustice can be profitable. Um, injustice can uh, can provide you with, with with other you know material non-material benefits and there has to be some motivating factor um, i.e you know something like that truly believe the gospel that 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 frees you to actually think do you know what even the the, the benefits i could i could derive from that injustice uh, are less uh, uh, are uh, surmounted by by the by the gospel you know so i'm I, you know and 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 i think that's sort of um i think it's sort of the, the 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 story of human history and our engagement with injustice is that as i said it's, it, it can be beneficial you know if people don't have you don't have that motivating factor um we don't be, you don't believe in those ideals enough to actually live consistent with them injustice is just is, is becomes accepted um especially with people who have the the power to main to maintain those mm. um, those injustices and and also again so i just keep when, whenever you're talking i'm like oh that's good and it reminds me of things i want to talk about again go, going back to frederick douglas and i'm interested we think about this is is the the framework that that um that the old testament provides for this um um you know the, the exodus narrative of god freeing 
slave like slavery is like again mm-hmm. there's no way of reading the exodus narrative and seeing slavery the slavery of a whole people as good like you everyone reads that account it's always been understood as as an evil to be to be enslaved by the egyptians or by anyone is evil mm-hmm. and and there's and and to be to be free from safe slavery is good freedom is is good and and i love that like reading people like frederick Douglass and and, and other um you know um ab- you know um african-american abolitionists um about the, the power that the power of that narrative that s- story to drive their um their, their work um i don't know what you think about that yeah i think that's where a lot of um black theology lands as well so the idea that jesus um seeing jesus um not holy as but you know seeing seeing the christian faith as a way of liberation and the liberation theology i think mm. definitely grounded in the exodus narrative as well but i think i i, I quite like um what equiano says in his narrative where he looks at um I think it's um, Act 17 in Paul's, um, you know, great rhetoric there. Love, love that passage mm. where he's talking about um, Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, and he said, you know, that from one man came out all people from all nations and tongues. That, and so Equiano uses that. This, I think the phrase is "one blood" in the KJV. Yeah. <laughs> so Equiano uses that to say, look, this idea of you know racial hierarchies or um, black people being a different species or this biological determinism that kind of stuff is unfounded within the Christian worldview. And I think consistently what you see in um, the slave narratives or, or, or the narratives of, of um, free peoples is this, uh, this, this real ability to engage critically with what the Bible says about human dignity to the embarrassment of um, Christian um, slave masters and slave owners who were you know, saying that they were Christians. Yeah. Hmm. There's there's a lot that can go down this road, but I'm also aware of of time, um, and there's just a couple of questions that have come in. Just on on this space, maybe before we move into some of the more culturally culturally recent things that have happened. Um, <laughs> there's a, a question here from the official Yasmin, who I believe you know. Uh, do you find it difficult to enter conversations? like this uh, or around race and inequality in the church in majority white spaces have you and just to add on to that question what kind of pushback have you experienced in those spaces i'd be interested what to look out for kind of kind of stuff Mm. yeah i think um the way that i've seen it kind of this play out in majority white spaces where there has been like a, a, a mismatch in what I've been trying to say, or just maybe a misunderstanding, is I'm saying I've experienced racism or racism exists in these forms or whatever. And then, um, or even what I'm trying to do is get real and talk about bringing apologetics to um, the black experience, making it relevant to the black experience and being told there is no black experience. We're all one in Christ. <laughs> and, and, and scriptures like um, Galatians, I think it's three, uh yeah, Galatians 3 yeah. 27 there is no Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female we're all one in Christ those scriptures used to shut down this this conversation and I don't think it's horrible done in a horrible way it's no. often well-intentioned this color blindness mm. we're all one in Christ mm. and I get that there's no there's only one race the human race um but what my response to that is two things for the Galatians 3 passage where it talks about 
Jew, Greek, male, um, female, slave, free, etc. All of us in our churches will have men's ministry or women's ministry. I didn't stop become, being a woman when I became a Christian. There are, there are ministries that deal with what women go through in the Christian context. So we just shut those down now because, hey, there's no male or female. There's no slave nor free. Like, should we shut those up? Of course not. In the same way, I didn't stop being black when I became a Christian. Society didn't suddenly change and overhaul its treatment of black people when I became a Christian. That, that there is the disparities in the way black people are treated. They continue. But what, what, it, what, what happens is the Christian worldview gives me... Um, the tools of how to navigate that and how to deal with it and again I, I love this passage um I think it's John 4 when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well the Samaritan woman and um you know people talk about how Jesus talked to her and you know her reaction and all that kind of stuff but when she went to the town the Samaritans came to Jesus to listen to him and on two occasions after Jesus speaks to the woman at the well it says the Samaritans believed not because I think of what the woman said but because of um of what they heard Jesus saying. And, it, and then they says something else about the Samaritans. So on two occasions after this woman has basically become a Christian, the Samaritans have basically become a Christian. They're still called Samaritans. Their ethnic um, you know, group didn't suddenly disappear. And, and, and you know, we don't get some narrative account that says, and suddenly all the Jews and the Samaritans became one and you know, danced around the world holding hands. The, 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 the visions were still there, we can only, mm. um, assume the divisions were still there, but the Samaritans, that group of Samaritans came to know Christ. And so in the same way, just because I'm a Christian and I'm dealing and I'm talking to white Christians, and yes, we're all one in Christ, it doesn't mean that my experience as a black person, all of all, all racist problems suddenly vanish. No, they're still there, but the gospel gives me and you, uh, my white Christian brothers and sisters, a way to work that together. And so I, I found that, do find that quite hard, this tendency to want to, to I don't think it's a, it's a desire to shut down the conversation, but that's how it's received. Yeah. When I'm trying to save something and I have to be very careful, I, I, I police a lot of how I frame things because if I say something in a certain way, oh, ultra Marxism, mm -hmm. critical race theory, do you know what I mean? I have to really be careful mm. how I say something because of this idea that, um, we're all one in Christ and there's, there's only one race, the human race, which I think, you know, that Galatians passage is pointing to something different. But anyway, yeah. I don't yeah, know I mean, the, yeah, no, it is. And, and the, 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 the example you gave about how we still have men's and women's ministry is a, is a really poignant one. And, I, you know, I've always under, it's one of those scriptures that's all, I think, almost it, probably nowadays, one of the most frequently misunderstood. It, it's making an ontological claim about we're all, equal mm. like it's not it's not eradicating the realities of, of biological sex and of ethnicity you know like you said the samaritan doesn't stop becoming a samaritan once they become a christian uh, you don't stop being english or american or greek or french once you become a once you become a christian you know um it's it, I, I tell you what it would be interesting to find out what what what, what you about the whole notion of race because because what what tends to happen is we're again we're, we're reading what what people end up doing then is then reading sort of modern categories you know because at the end of the day, you know race is a modern category you know it's not something my understanding again please correct me if i'm wrong but um there's you know we've always quite understood that people from different regions 
um, often look different, uh, speak different languages, have different, um, you know, some have different uh, virtues or emphasize certain different things. But we're, you know, historically, you could tell where someone was from um, because they look they look a certain way because people in a certain region look a certain way, and and my understanding is that was it 17th sort of century or people um we we or 17th 18th century we concocted this term of race you know someone have a sort of someone looks a certain way and we categorize them um so you had you know sort of white uh blacks um uh, asians uh, and and uh, or Again, I'm so careful. I never know what terms to use. <laughs> I, 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 I'm so confused. After this is, this is what the world's done to me now because <laughs> I'm so I'm so careful. I'm not, I don't know what to say. I don't know is is it okay to say someone's black? I mean, we say white, but we don't say brown for Asian. Like, so we have different categories. There's like black, brown, and Asian. But Asian is a ge- that's a, a geographic area, not a color. Uh, I get so confused what what what, what to do. But that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, so what what so how, how do we understand things like race? That's not a biblical category. Like the Bible, as you already said, mm. talking about Samaritans, understands ethnicity. So, um, but nowadays you can get someone who is ethnically British, but in a modern term is is, is of, of a different race. Whereas historically that wouldn't have really, it would have been unlikely to happen. I know that, um, well, I, I actually read today that in Exodus 12, it talks about um, how, um, uh, it, it talks about the Israelites being, diverse essentially they've, they've made up of people of different ethnicities um oh. but um yeah sorry i'm not sure if there's really a question in there but like how do we understand yeah. how do how do we avoid reading mm. modern terms into the bible when they didn't really understand categories like race really? so can can yeah. can, can, oh, can, 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 can can christianity even engage with that thing because race is not a thing mm. well i think um and I was reading this today, actually, Daniel 7, Daniel 7, and then we kind of get a similar vision of that in um, Revelation. I think it's, I don't know which chapter it is, maybe Revelation 21. So the Bible talks about how, you know, in the eschaton, in the time to come, when all mm. of this madness is over, that around the throne of God, all people from all nations, tribes and tongues will be standing around the throne of God. And so there is this idea of diversity that's celebrated, not silenced, diversity that God affirms, he doesn't ignore, um like as i said i think some of the times these passages in scripture have been, have been uh, ignore um have been used to ignore the differences i'm saying about my experience as a black woman to, to say yours um so i do think there is um the bible does it as you say acknowledge ethnic groups but this idea of race as a concept or you know going down the critical theory route as a social construct to um make make people less than make people less than human and, and to 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 put people I don't know to label people put them in, into a box race as a derogatory term doesn't really come into I would say God's idea and God's design for us as his as his people but God has created the ethnic diversity and um you know I mean we could go there if you, but like the whole debate about you know white Jesus and all that kind of stuff like when I look at the life of Jesus he you know um, incarnation into an ethnic minority group <laughs> okay at the time so I just 
I'm not sure I'm answering the question. I don't know if I'm sure what the question was. No, it's just my, 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 <laughs> random, my random thoughts. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the white Jesus thing, I mean, is that is that something that, that um, I know when people ever ask me that, I always point with the fact that actually if you go to China, Jesus looks Chinese in in paintings. If you look Korean, there's this, uh, this great statue of a ripped like bodybuilder Jesus who looks Korean, like mm-hmm. Korean Jesus. Um, so I mean, but but does is there a perception within sort of black community that that that, that Jesus is this sort of white savior and is not necessarily the savior of all people? Um, mm. I think that um, I understand what you're saying, and I, I, I remember the the Sean King tweet that came out and disrupted, you know, Christian circles everywhere. Um, <laughs> they pull down um, images of white Jesus, and it was you know I saw lots of hand wringing going on because of that statement, and. To me, this white Jesus thing that's cropped up now and people are, you know, quite distressed by why are people saying to pull down pictures of white Jesus? Two things. First of all, this is an old question, okay? I remember when um, my dad was alive when I was young and he'd be sort of mentoring um, black men in the community and in the church and they'd be saying to him, but pastor, like, isn't Christianity a white man's religion? And he would have to try and, you know, counsel them and coach them and that, that kind of thing. And then some of them turned to, to Rastafarianism because Rastafarianism was was thought, um, thought to be, you know, uh, a more liberating expression for the, for the black experience. But this is not a, this is not a new question. Mm. All that what's happened is because of what we've seen with George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, you know, I could go on. It has brought this question into uh, the mainstream conversation about depictions of Jesus. But just to say, um, I, I think I saw an article that talks about um, Tanyin's image of, of Jesus, a Chinese artist image of Jesus and the Virgin Mary as looking Chinese. But um, and so this idea that images of Jesus have always been enculturated, I, I, I understand, but I don't necessarily wholeheartedly agree because growing up, I remember seeing pictures of white Jesus in the Lord's Supper, pr- white praying hands on the mantelpiece of my black family, black church family uh, mantelpieces. Mm. Um, I went to Sierra Leone this year as well. And I saw images of white Jesus all over churches. I went to several churches and there were images of white Jesus, white Jesus in the car. Mm. Um, in an interview, I think it's on Justin Briley's unbelievable discussion with Chine McDonald on um, is the UK church racist. And she talks about how she, she's Nigerian born black woman. Uh, her husband is white and how they went to, to they went back home for um, a funeral, I think it was. And during that time, the pastor said to the congregation, oh, look, you know, we're basically celebrating the fact that we have a white man in our presence today. You know, we're really, um, you know, you're celebrating the fact that a white guy was with them. Um, and she, she was trying to explain that this goes deeper than when 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 a black person asks, is Christianity the white man's religion? And they're, they're kind of referring to depictions of white Jesus, et cetera. It's not just to tell me the percentage of people who are Christian, Christians around the world. And you'll see statistically, I think um, Christianity is practiced by ethnic minorities or, or people who are not white um, around the world. Christianity is practiced more by um yeah by people who are not white however that's not what we're asking the question comes with again back to this mm. historical baggage and lived reality today of the effects of colonization upon the transmission of christianity in the west and globally and so one more example i'll give is um i had a conversation with felix aremo from london city mission we, we've got a video coming out soon asking this very question is christianity the white man's religion mm-hmm. he talks about going to a church in east africa 
where um, like they would normally throughout the whole year dress in um, um, like suits, ties, that kind of formal dress. And they have one day allocated per year to be in their traditional cultural dress one day. This is East mm. Africa. And right. so the effect of as I said, the effect of colonization upon Christianity and how it's been transmitted around the world. This this is not just you know an abstract objection coming from the black community about white Jesus. This is coming with a lot of there's a lot of ideology behind it. And people have seen that they think that they feel that African culture has been demonized and um in its place has been put white Christianity. So that's um, where it's coming from. And so for me, what I try to do in response to this is to, to look at, um, and this guy called Vince Bantu is doing some fantastic work on this. He's got a book called A Multitude of All Peoples. And he talks about how um, Christianity was in um, Africa, in North Africa, in Ethiopia, in lots of different countries um, in, in the African continent long before slavery, because that, that's, that's the other bugbear, you yeah. know, Christianity, people only become Christians because we were forced to forced through slavery. So it's this, it's this massive, it's this massive web of questions people have. And so when we're talking about white Jesus, it's all of those things I've just discussed. And then mm -hmm. when you, and I'll say this, when you have um, particularly young black Christians in the church who, Again, Gen Z and millennials have this justice, almost social justice um, desire wired into their DNA. When you have Christians, black Christians, you were saying, yeah, we want justice. And then I'm hearing, you know, my white Christian brothers and sisters or, or black Christian brothers and sisters saying, oh, this is not a gospel issue. Leave it there. There's only one race, the human race. Um, mm. Abe nor free, male nor free, you know, the Galatians passage saying mm. that. Mm. That just incenses yeah, and yeah. makes them feel like, well, Christianity is ineffective in dealing with racial injustice. Yeah, but that's the thing where they're, they're speaking a different language because they're, they're in one, they're right. Exactly what you just said. There's nothing factually incorrect about what they said. There is one human race, like from a from a from a as as a biblical, you know, mm -hmm. would understand it in terms of. But I, uh, but people don't mean that. So mm -hmm. we're just it's just that, and I don't know. I don't know how to the culture thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know how people can how it's it's how that can be navigated. Other than you know, I like what you said about Vince Bantu. I'm going to have to look look him up. He sounds he he's sounds great. Brilliant. Um, he's so good. Is is trying to remind people. This is what I'm quite like at the moment. Like Black History Month, I'm loving it. Mm. My, my my daughter's loving it. I I just think it it it's 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 great. And because um, we're just we're just always we're just seeing all these like amazing black people from history, and um, and um, and it's it's giving us an opportunity to talk about you know how you know we talk about oh, why do we have black history months? We talk about well you know black, a lot of black people historically have been treated very badly people with, by people with light skin you know so we talk we talk about mm. those and it provides us those sort of opportunities to have those discussions, but you know even within the church and you know, talking about. Augustine was African. Mm. Um, you go through all it. these church fathers, African, 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 and but the depictions of them, though, this is what I'm saying, Dan. Mm, the depictions they're very of them, even. I mean, I remember going to a lecture. <laughs> sorry, no. I remember going to a lecture on church history, and um, we were talking about Augustine, and then there was this, you know, 
glib comment about at the start and some people have you know raised questions about how Augustine should be depicted in you know Christian art um you know to do with his ethnic origin but yeah. um, yes and then it was jumping into the essay because in my head Augustine before I started to do other research was a white man you know right. like that's that's how I've always seen it and then so that the thing is when you grow up in church even if you've grown up in a black majority church and then all and then even you go to um Theolog do theolo theological training and then you know black theology is an option an elective or 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 not an option at all or you read one passage one week on I don't know James Cone or something um great stuff by James Cone actually um is Christianity the white man's religion do you know what I mean so um I think as I said this whole white Jesus thing is Christianity the white man's religion is a lot more um there's a lot more to it than just you know, black Christians seeming or black people seeming to 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 be um, upset about depictions of white Jesus. That's not what it is. It's, there's a lot of um, stuff that comes with it. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge amount of that. So that I'm seeing happen. So I grew up in Papua New Guinea, which is also colonised, which also had an heavy missionary colonization as well so christianity and colonization kind of went hand in hand i'm seeing some Papua new guinean friends really wrestling with their faith what was um partly as well it's an american evangelical mission school that i went to so unpicking some unhealthy theologies in that regard um as well and it's it's really hard to it's hard for them. It's just a, a battleground of ideas for them, as well as trying to work out the truth while wrestling with this idea they've been betrayed by people they respected because they've been lied to, even if it's unintentional, um, that even while being preached, uh, taught the gospel, there's these inequalities, even on the mission field of pay and medical oh. health. And, and it's just, yeah, I, it's a web, as you put it. And and then there's a real, what I see in, in working with um, the cross-cultural stuff that I do uh, as part of my job is trying to teach English people that they have a culture, that, that white people have a culture. They do things, they see things, they read things with that cultural lens so that when someone who's not white they go this is this is the way isn't it <laughs> well they don't even ask the question isn't it that it's this this way and so when i've read galatians 3 it means this that i'm colorblind i treat you the same way as i treat my white brothers and sisters and while in one way of equality that's true in the way of hearing your experience it's not true at all <laughs> and we've got to work out how in our churches to help those in the majority see that they have a culture and that that's where the language thing happens it happens all the time when you're in cross-cultural teams i meant i said this and and this other person said, well i heard this and 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 you've got to work out this whole cross-cultural conflict and it and it's this added layer of really listening and um digging in to go actually that makes me really uncomfortable because it sounds like you're saying this about me when it's mm -hmm. actually about history and you're saying now I've got to I've got to rethink how I read the bible and so that it ends up everyone has to do some work and oftentimes the more work has to be done on the majority side 
to figure out what's actually being said right. than they're willing to put in and and that's where yeah uh, and so it's, it's really interesting some of the stuff that i'm reading on race is actually a cultural issue and and in some ways it would make it easier if we're we're talking about um if, if it was in another country if i was if i was telling another white guy <laughs> or girl about this issue and we were in maybe nigeria or something and i'm going look there's this there's other culture it'd be obvious because they're no longer mm -hmm. in the majority and I go, oh, suddenly I am doing something different. But when we're in this culture now, we, we don't seem to see it. We don't seem to see that we're doing things so differently. And well, you're from England. You should be speaking the same language as me. And you mm -hmm. kind of are, but sorry, that's that's a sort of thought blurb. Just how I'll ask me a bit more 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 specific, I'll be interested in what you gotta say is so how what you know, they say in the US, I'm not sure if it's actually true, but I've heard it said that the most divided day in the US is a Sunday. And I can't imagine that it's that much different, um, maybe in the UK, maybe on a, obviously on a smaller scale. But we have uh, churches that we call majority black. We have um, majority white churches. We have, there are some churches that have a, uh, a small mixture, um, some that have a a, a balance of people from 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 uh, yeah. I never know races. Is that I, I don't black and white people diverse. and and multi -ethnic. diverse multi ethnic. Multi -ethnic. I, don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> multi ethnic, multi ethnic. There's a multi ethnic churches. So how? Because again, this is this is an observation. Again, I'm not trying to get in trouble, but it it it, it seems self evident um, that people from similar ethnic backgrounds. Um, have a preference, nothing morally weighted, of spending time with people from the same ethnic background. So if I see groups of people, um, more often than not, it's not to say there are not exceptions, but um, uh, uh, Asian people tend to spend more time with other Asian people. Um, black people tend to spend more time with other black people and white people tend to spend most of the time with other white people. Now, again, it's not to say that we, you know, lots of people have different, uh, more diverse friendships, but more often that, that's what you tend you tend to see, mm -hmm. um, and that that just we're groupish by by human nature. You know, we tend to stick in groups, people that look like us or have the same, um, you know, ethnic ethnic background. How, like, so that that in itself seems like it's a, it's a, it's a problem that's not easily surmountable because. It, it it just seems grounded in in our experience i mean do we do we have to try and break that up do we is it is it is it bad to spend time with you know i i, I all these things i always have these questions i never have any to but that, that just seems like an observation yeah. and i don't know how we deal with that and the church i'm not sure it necessarily does a great job of of trying to you know should we be trying to fracture that should there be majority black churches should we should there be majority white churches like what do we because yeah. that just that doesn't seem like it's dealing with the problem it might not necessarily be worsening it mm. but it's certainly not solving it yeah i think um i think my first thing to say is it black majority white majority multi-ethnic churches i said black majority white majority churches it didn't have to be that way and um, this goes back to probably an ill-advised <laughs> social media conversation, Phil, that I was in with someone uh, before that you you had to admin. Um, <laughs> this goes back to, unfortunately, 
um, the, the Windrush generation coming to the UK and many of them wanting to worship with their white brothers and sisters, you know, they were Christians in, in the Caribbean, in Jamaica, and um, coming to church, UK churches and, and being told not to come back. And that is a story, okay, that not just my grandparents experienced, has happened over and over and over again and I think one church um recently in Birmingham I think has apologized to a guy who's now in his 80s Reverend um Carmel Jones who was turned away and then he and then he went to a black Pentecostal church and so that that's not the only way that how the black church or majority church emerged in the UK um in again back in that conversation is the UK church racist the Justin Briley one um Joe Aldred uh, Bishop Joe Aldred talks about how um like some churches like I, I don't want to name names in case I get them wrong but some churches sent um black preachers to, from the US for instance and commissioned them to come to the UK so it wasn't just a, a rejection from the established white majority church but in a lot of cases that was that was the case okay mm. so the the situation we find ourselves in today where you do have this black majority white majority and some multi-ethnic churches going on that didn't have to happen but it did okay and so I find that with, for instance, I say my, someone like my dad or someone of that generation, there is this, um, uh, there is this real um, legacy attached to, do you know what, we came to this country, we were treated this way, and this church and way it's grown or whatever is part of our legacy, is part of us. And so um, the idea of, I'm not saying <laughs> changing the church to become a multi-ethnic one, but it is it become part of the legacy and part of who they are and, and maintain their faith. Because some people, and as well, some people, because of the rejection from the UK church in the Windrush, the Windrush generation, left Christianity altogether. And this is again the same kind of problem that's that's going on today with us, as I said before, particularly Gen Z and millennials thinking that Christianity is effective in dealing with racial injustice because we're being told um there's neither greek nor jew male nor female so that that's part of it that's one part of it it didn't have to be this way and look this is how the cookie has crumbled kind of thing but on the other side um and this is something i've realized in the 30 i've been becoming 34 as well and particularly around with all these conversations about race going on i didn't realize and i'm sure we've all got stories about how being a christian being in church hasn't isn't always easy in church you get you know church hurt and all that kind of stuff but growing up in a black majority church, I appreciate now, and I, I kind of this registered in my mind when I heard Joe Aldred talking on that same unbelievable discussion, that the black church was a place where I was affirmed as a black person every week. Yeah, I could just be me, I could just be black. And I didn't quite realize that. And so for me, I treasure, I, I do treasure it. Doesn't mean that I can't worship elsewhere. I've worked when I was at uni, I used to worship in um, a big white majority church where I went to uni. Um, and that's, you know, I didn't lose my faith. I, I still worshipped and, and still was able to be a Christian. But I just treasure, um, like you said, the, the, you know, the, the community, the sense of community and I guess belonging that comes with worshipping in a black majority church. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the question then becomes when you have a multi-ethnic church, is it really multi-ethnic or is it assimilation versus inclusion? So where you know, we've got black people in our church and there's like maybe 10 black people or something and they, they never, they're not on worship, they don't lead, they're not on the leadership team. You know, do you know what I mean? So is that, that's the question, I guess. But for me, I, I, I quite, I quite um, treasure worshiping in a black majority church. And again, back to that whole thing about church hurt and, you know, people having bad experiences in church or whatever. I want to um, commit 
and critique. And that's part of what Get Oil is doing as well to, to challenge churches and equip them with how to deal with these bigger questions because, um, you know, my heart really goes out for Gen Z with all the stuff that's happened with COVID and disruption to their education. And just thinking about, I think there was this premier Christianity article about Gen Z and talking about how, you know, particularly after COVID, there's gonna have to be some real strategy about how we reach that generation, regardless of um, the ethnic background of the church. And so they, they're, they're really on my mind at the moment as well. Mm. I don't know if that's helpful. For the no, question. it is, yeah. no, absolutely. I hadn't really thought of I the, the Windrush and the, and the connection between the church and stuff like that. I wasn't aware of that. So that's really, yeah, it's, that's pretty helpful for helping me to understand that. I'm aware of time, Claire. Um, I don't want to push it. We're at 9.30. Have you got time for one more question before a final question? Sure. Yeah, you sure? Yeah. I don't, don't want to uh, put pressure on you. There's, um, I'll try and find where... I don't it... want to put you on the spot, but we're going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you on the <laughs> spot. Open a question to open a can of worms. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll park the whole critical race theory. I think that's too big for a five-minute question. I think there was, there was one back here that was just quite... Um, a little bit more of a, a wind down question. So we'll, we'll go to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two young children and a leadership role in my church as a preacher's child. Uh, what tips could you give me to make my children's childhood and adolescence a little bit smoother? Do you have any tips for a parent who's a preacher and pastor, how to help his children through that? Oh, wow. Okay. I think, um, kind of going back to the first question that um, Dan was asking about forums and spaces to, for people to bring their questions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, they're hard questions about faith. To make an environment for your children to honestly ask their questions. Because if, if you're not talking about it with them as a parent, trust me, they're Googling it, they're chatting to their friends, they're YouTubing it, all kind of thing, Instagram, they're doing it, sorry. Um, so yeah. I think you as, as, a, as a parent, make that forum available for them and, um, there's so many resources. There's a great book called Mama Bear Apologetics by Hilary Morgan Farah. I definitely recommend that book because she puts kind of apologetics into the hands of parents, I guess. And so it helps to kind of, um, yeah, helps parents to, to address some of the questions that their children will have. So I'd, I'd recommend that book. Yeah, and as I said, open up the space to have, have um, conversations and also um, making time. I think, I don't know, the, the church tradition that this person's from but I think definitely one of the things I have loved and also I, I, I sometimes critique about the black Pentecostal experience that I've had is this real um sense of going for the Lord and you know this we're, you know we're just just persevere and we, we go on you know even if you're tired or whatever like you just continue and I think that's uh, has its has its positives and negatives but making time because your 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 home your marriage that's ministry as well that is your marriage and your children they are your ministry as well so I hope that's helpful but if you're not talking about the hard questions trust me your children are that's that's really helpful Mm -hmm. and and I think as a a missionary kid I think it's similar I've really valued that in in my parents being able to ask questions and I think that's why I've turned into the way I am (laughs) in these kind of conversations just really doing why do why do we have to think that why do we believe that and um yeah that's really helpful so there's loads that we'll have to have you again Claire um to to talk about yeah I read all day about critical race theory Uh, (laughs) oh you got you got a a pass on that 
<laughs> just so much in there. I mean, even just, I could talk all day about the sort of Exodus theology, liberation theology. There's loads in that that I think we've not, we've not even scratched the surface. Um, you know, if we, yeah. if we can get you back, we're happy to have it because it, it would really be good maybe just yeah, to talk about you know, critical race theory and your kind of experience with that and how we, how do we navigate mm. it? How do we have, yeah. how do we dialogue? How do we, when we're yeah. almost speaking a different, a different language and it is a different language uh, many times and terms, terms meaning one thing, but in a different, con you know, to us, they might mean something else. And you're like, oh yeah, I agree with that. That sounds mm. great. Then you find out that, Oh, actually, that doesn't seem quite yeah. right. And uh, then also people shutting the conversation down with Galatians as well. And yeah. Cultural Marxism. Yeah, that would be another one to talk about. That's such a good, such a good yeah. point you made about the men and women's ministry. I think mm. people, like, they, they, like you said, it's well-meaning, um, but it's it's not well thought. It's not well yeah. thought of. Yeah. And it's not it's not good exegesis of that of that passage at all. So we've we've shared a stack of resources through um and I've, I've written a bit of a list is frederick Douglass's account is it called frederick Douglass? is it is that the name i need to the narrative life i think the narrative yeah narrative yeah. Life of frederick that sounds Douglas. familiar yeah. it's a really short book i'm going to reread it um uh over the christmas, christmas break mary prince is that called mary prince as I well think it's the history of mary prince all right so if i google mary prince i'm probably yeah. fine you said equiano what, what was so I think it's the interesting narrative of Olauda, Olauda Equiano. So he was a um, former slave and became an abolitionist. Well, okay. I, was, I think and I saw Vince someone share. Has he got Vince a plaque Bantu. in London? Equiano? Yeah, he will, he will do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Vince um, Bantu, he sounds great. Yeah, Vince Bantu. So oh I've got, my gosh. I've got a, I've got a list of, of I've got some, um, so I've got African-American family uh, and um in, in Dallas and I've got a reading list from her <laughs> so I'll, I'll have to add some of these to to Adam currently Listen, reading everyone's of reading this it's getting so long everyone's reading this watch list podcast list it's, it's huge so just as we've already got a list there is that and you said Jude 3 project as well and she has come on my radar as well and you've got Get Real is there anything you feel like ah oh, people really need to listen to one or two people that I haven't mentioned today? Um, I would say listen to um, anything basically by Esau McCauley. Mm -hmm. He's brilliant. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's got a book called Reading While Black at the moment. And um, he's on, on quite a few of the podcasts for Duty Project as well. He's, he's brilliant. Mm. He's so good. And just general apologetics. I, I think my favourite apologetics book at the time for like, you know, kind of popular level reading is Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's really good. That's why I love that book. <laughs> I try and get her on this show at some point. That's a really hey. book. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, awesome. it's, a, it's a very good book. Yeah, now we're going to, you're going to cost us a lot of money, I think, tonight. When <laughs> like... Yeah, get another <laughs> bookcase, Dan. You've already yeah. got your lounge full of them. <laughs> uh, amazing. Um, so, we've, well, official Yasmin says get you back on. So it's official. We're going to have oh. to do that. Um, enjoyed that so we've got um a few conversations lined up actually so I'll, I'll sort of finish up here and and we'll we'll turn off the stream um feel free i think it's next thursday richard playford is that right dan yeah i still need to say yeah i might have um yeah he's a philosopher at uh, st mary's in university in twickenham uh, hopefully coming on and talk about different religions and um how we understand different religions in light of Christianity and pluralism and things like that. So I think we're going to have a good natter about that, which should be good fun. 
That'll be good. And then we've got um, a few others coming up. So just Nay, some big Nay names. Nay Dawson from um, oh, it's gone. Fellowship of International Evangelical Christians and a few. Uh, she's got, I think, <laughs> fingers in all sorts of pies. She's, she's yeah. great. Um, we've got uh, Jay Smith else. in December. Jay Smith in December. Um, we've got Mike Austin, God and Guns coming on. So there's, there's a good lineup. Subscribe if you haven't um share like and um hope you enjoyed this evening so yeah, we'll... th- thank you so much claire for coming yeah. on really enjoyed thank it you guys please check out realquestions.co.uk yeah definitely and follow on instagram get real 321 great and you, you've got a podcast coming out when does that first drop yeah it's coming out um next week, next week. awesome <laughs> yeah. Look, I'll, I'll be uh subscribing to that so oh, good stuff another thing to listen to Great. So thanks for listening. I'm going to end stream. See you later. Are you not Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.